Kali Tribune podcast question and answer session. This time around, we'll attempt to discuss a body of questions and remarks by Matt on the subject of Stoicism. I will not quote Matt here verbatim, for his is a rather long comment, uh, which you can read for yourself via link provided in the notes, but will rather distill the main topics uh, he is interested in and lay out the sequence in which I'll address them in organic fashion. Now, first and foremost, Matt is interested about, and I quote, what seems to be a miniature quote-unquote culture war, in the USA at least, over the value of Stoicism as a philosophy by which to live, especially if you are a man. Close quote. Well, now, culture wars in US became a popular subject around the world and everybody seems to consider himself an expert on American mentality and American affairs simply by virtue of having internet access and command of English language. Since I don't believe that this is possible without good first-hand familiarity with USA, which I don't possess, I'll have to uh, suspend my judgment on some of these issues a tad. I.e. I won't try to go in-depth with explaining how come those things are happening in the US just now. But will, of course, give my opinion. I'll try something more fundamental instead. The substance of my response will be what I do have some knowledge of, and that is philosophy, and how philosophical teachings of pre-modern times are related to our own age. Although with a caveat that, whereas we share the same calendar, we people around the world, we don't necessarily share the same mentality or understanding of the world and man's place in it. Therefore, I will provide some thoughts on the history of philosophy and, specifically, who were Stoics and what they taught. Only then we can proceed to more pressing matters of our year of our Lord 2021. Those matters Matt noticed to be abroad in the American public sphere comprise few attitudes about Stoicism. The first is the attitude of the American Psychological Association, and I quote Matt, quoting uh, from their paper, Guidelines for Psychological Practice with Boys and Men, quote, that psychologists can strive to reduce mental health stigma for men by acknowledging and challenging socialized messages related to men's mental health stigma, e.g. male stoicism, self-reliance, framing so-called traditional masculinity in a constructivist yet highly reductionist manner. In, Matt is quoting from this article, that is to say, guidelines document, in, oh, I love those. In Western culture, 
The dominant ideal of masculinity has moved from an upper-class aristocratic image to a more rugged and self-sufficient ideal. Close quote. We'll treat this subject first after laying out the general Stoic teachings, as it is quite frankly just parroting the dominant ideology of postmodern left, and it's very easy to uh, very. <laughs> Well, easy to disparage, in fact, because I read the document partly. Uh, it's, and it is really, really a sad state of affairs that uh, once, I believe, serious uh, institution as American Psychological Association has fallen to such, uh, uh, such a level of degradation of of, of, of uh, at least language it uses, but we'll come to that later. Another attitude Matt points out is that I quote uh, a liberal from from a liberal standpoint, and according to one of the research papers Matt has in mind, uh, to be more precise, the research paper is called Stoicism and Well-Being. That's a survey, sociological survey on the values that people... So according to this research, uh, has apparently show, shown that uh, positive, there is a positive correlation or relationship between Stoicism and depression. And that when we compare the tone of Marco Aurelie with that of Francis Bacon or John Locke, we see the difference between a tired and hopeful age, the stoic ethic suited the times of Epictetus and Marco Aurelie because its gospel was one of the endurance rather than hope, close, close quote. These are classical liberal optimists, I would say. So this is more of a political standpoint in the sense that it escapes philosophical assessment of stoic teaching by arbitrarily ascribing its content to a zeitgeist of the late Roman Empire. But as we, I believe, know, most of us at least, Stoics are far older than uh, <laughs> Roman Empire. Sto uh, Stoics are originally Greek philosophical tradition school. Uh, finally, uh, Matt is interested in the Christian attitude towards Stoicism, as it tends to be ambivalent from philosophical derision to acceptance of some stoic precepts in everyday life. In this context, we'll turn back to look into stoic ontology, uh, more precisely the problem of destiny and or providence, as it is where, in my opinion, the crux of the difference between the two spiritual forms is the most glaring. That is to say, in uh, contrasting uh, what uh, providence and heimarmene of Stoics. And here, uh, here I'll refer to some of my previous works. Uh, in conclusion, I'll provide some thoughts on pagan revivalism and relevance of Stoicism today because uh, Matt, uh, Matt notices that there is a certain possibility of reaction uh, among young people. And I think I would add, especially young people that learn their political attitudes from internet, to go in, in the direction of totally opposing these anti-stoic uh, anti standpoints, that is to say the standpoints that deride the Gnostic, uh, Stoicism as uh, uh, 
as a, some form of what they like to call toxic masculinity. Now, before we go into subject matter of Stoic teaching, I have to make one methodological remark and I'll be returning to it from time to time. Uh, we tend to talk about Stoicism, much like we talk about Americanism, Idealism, Marxism, etc. Well, it is very important to realize that the suffixism makes all those terms philosophically dubious at best, or even useless at worst. And I opt that worst case is the true case with isms. Ism is a qualification that wasn't present in the age of Stoics, or rather, it was absent from the world in general until late 17th century, at the earliest. The problem with it is that it is an attempt at fragmentation of the intellectual content that is supposed to be a whole. What does this mean? Well, for example, if you take uh, the expression philosophical idealism, it is supposed that it refers to metaphysics where everything originates from intelligible forms. Usually also the name of Plato comes up rather quickly. So, is Plato an idealist? Certainly not. To call Plato's philosophy idealism, idealism would reduce it to one of its aspects and turn this one aspect into a closed intellectual structure that can be comprehended and argued for against other similar structures. Plato's philosophy is not idealism, not because it doesn't provide account of intelligible forms, but because it is just a part of his insight into the nature and origin of all. In that sense, Plato could very well be as much a realist as he was an idealist. After all, uh, when Plato is concerned, his teachings, his unwritten doctrines, so-called agrafa dogmata, are probably, in all probability, central uh, to his philosophy. And uh, those teachings are not teachings of ideas, in a, in, in a strict sense. Uh, the teachings of origins and causes, as all Greek metaphysics more or less was. But that's not important. Just to illustrate. However, isms don't permit us to realize this because their purpose is to fragmentate and petrify thought. So, to cut a fragment and then to make it unalterable. Moreover, this is not possible without subjective agency because in order to create an ism, there has to be an I who creates it. Someone has to create an ism. Ism is not expression of reality. It is a matter of some deliberation. I, someone separates into pieces what was originally one continuous whole. The structure constructed in this way is what we nowadays call a system. Therefore, neither isms nor systems apply to original Stoic ontology and ethics. They are modern reconstructions of the original realities that are applied by individuals or collectives thereof to create individual and collective cohesion. In a word, the closest term we can find in everyday language that indicates to their real meaning 
is ideology. With that in mind, let us continue with the exposition of Stoic doctrines. So, what is Stoic metaphysics? Well, the peculiarity of Stoic ontology, as it should rather be called, from which everything else derives, is that it deals is exclusively with corporeal beings. I, in Stoic understanding, everything that is, both the origin of everything and everything that is originated, both God and the world that is, is corporeal. It's a form of body. <clears throat> now, in broader outline, broadest outlines, there are two forms of body, two forms of substance in this world, in Stoics. Uh, a Stoic's understanding. One is passive, the other is active. The passive one is what is in all probability derived from Aristotle's understanding of protehule or the uh, original, uh, original matter, the first matter that is in effect completely formless. It is if taken in itself, uh, non-being. It has being only insofar as it is acted upon by something that gives it forms. In uh, Stoic understanding, however, which is quite different, uh, worlds apart from Aristotle, uh, this is the matter that is acted upon by, uh, that is to say, body, that is acted upon by superior, active, form of body, and this superior active form of body is God, sometimes called Zeus, after the father of Olympian gods from the traditional Greek religion, sometimes Logos, and sometimes fire. Now, why fire? Uh, fire is as one of the four elements of the ancient world, that is to say, uh, fire, air, water, and earth. Now, you have to understand one thing about this notion of elements, and we'll leave the fifth element alone here. Uh, these are not uh, to be taken lightly, and these are not to be rejected as a kind of primitive uh, attempt at, uh, uh, at constructing a periodic table of, chemist of modern chemistry. Uh, it's no such thing. The elements are qualities. <clears throat> they come in category of poion, in which manner, in what manner. Because those are quali uh, the elementary qualifications that can be found in uh, natural world and through which we understand things. Those are qualities as dryness, subtlety, heat, moisture, hardness, softness, uh, uh, all-pervadedness, for instance, pneuma, also one word for God in Stoics, pneuma is air, or wind. So these are elements, this is how they understood them. So you have to, if you think about them, it's, I, I advise trying to think in this qualifying, 
qualifying terms because that's how they use them. And of four elements, the first is fire, uh, for Stoics, because fire is the most subtle and the most active. It can bring the, the, the greatest effects. Nothing can stand against it. And this is God. And the birth of the world or the nature comes from fire. That is to say, they had a rather, rather developed cosmology where the various spheres of, uh, of the heaven, of the skies, uh, different degrees of this cosmic fire where one is more subtle than the other. But uh, for the sake of brevity, we won't go into that. Suffice it to say that this fire, uh, in, in some sense, is a subtle body that uh, everything is imbibed with. And this subtle body is God. That is to say, God is present in all and corporeally present. And in this sense, God, they, they call uh, Logos, or Logos Spermaticos, the seminal principle or seminal reason, because their understanding of creation is that God creates from the inside out uh, in a natural way, that is to say, in a way that uh, vegetation or animals grow. So God acts as a subtle material or corporeal principle that is present in everything and makes it come into being, makes it perish, makes it come into a causal relation with other things and so on and so forth. So this would be the Gnostic world. It is obviously immanent. Now, immanence of gods is something that is peculiar to antiquity to some extent, but Stoics really push it uh, to the limit with this. And now, how this relates uh, to what is usually taken to be to be most important thing in Stoics, uh, the human conduct, what to do? Well, it is in antiquity, uh, having ethics, ethical teaching, ethical precepts without understanding of nature was, in my opinion, unthinkable. I cannot really find any grounds to suppose that this could, could have uh, make any sense to ancients as it makes sense to people now because there is no, no science of the nature of things anymore that is approved academically or politically. Uh, so, Stoic's attitude, in, in, if we are talking about real historical Stoics, is unthinkable without this. Uh, however, the, our notion of Stoicism is not that far off, because general notions that people have about some important things, as the moral attitudes, uh, generally hit the truth at least halfway. So Matt, in his uh, question, put a remark that uh, he has a friend who is policeman and who has this stoic attitude and that a lot of military men in American army have this attitude also. And by this attitude, I believe the following was meant. Uh, patience in the face of adversary, 
suffering of uh, all kinds of discomforts without complaint and without uh, losing one's composure or disposition and such things. This is usually what we consider stoic attitude. And I would say it is to a large extent, especially this word I use, disposition or state. This is in Greek, hexis. This is the word that Stoics used themselves because uh, it was the state of the soul that has to be tuned up as a musical instrument to the logos, to the active principle of universe or God that is ruling, create, uh, forming, molding and controlling the universe. This is the main thing in Stoics. So people who today have these attitudes have the effects, but it is arguable whether do they have them from the same cause. Because one can act stoically from being a Christian and Christian understanding of the God and creation is, uh, to put it lightly, quite different. Yet some of the some of the attitudes are seemingly same, effects are same, but but causes are not. That means uh, that ultimate effects will be also different. In Stoics, uh, the basis for moral conduct, which was indeed this what they called ataraxia, undisturbedness by emo negative emotions, but also control of positive emotions, because positive emotions tend to provoke negative emotions in response. This attunedness uh, and tranquility to cosmos was based upon understanding of nature. And this understanding was brought about through application of uh, strict application of logic. Uh, because for them, you, have to, you had to be very uh, succinct in discerning the causes why things happen to you in order to reach tranquility. Because we take everything personally. So the roof falls over my head just now when I got that fabulous job I was dreaming of, well, this cannot be, this cannot be an accident. Stoic would say, of course, assuming that you survived, that you have to discern why this happened. Or can you at all know why this happened? You have to, in order to reach a conclusion what is in your power? Because this is the moral agency of man. The thing that is in his power. The things, the actions, acts that are in his power. Energeias of his being. To establish this, you have to think. And you have to think causally. And you have, and if thinking causally, you'll see that things that provoke emotions, wild emotions in you, in fact, should not provoke wild emotions in you. Uh, uh, that is to say, wild negative emotions, part hey, as they call them, <clears throat> things that make you passive, because being angry, being melancholic, that is to say, being extremely sad, it makes you passive, it makes you not acting 
out of your own uh, convictions or out of the inner principle of action, but out of the outer principle of action. And they, uh, they, they, they uh, ruin and disharmonize your inner disposition. So what to do? You have to think. The thinking is the main thing with Stoics. Uh, they were philosophers. So today we, we usually take Stoic attitude as kind of practical. Uh, Matt gave us two examples of soldiers, policemen. And indeed, these are the virtues that, that come with those uh, professions, if they are done right, of course, and for the right reasons. Uh, there is a facing of adversity, of uh, maybe the ugliest, uh, ugliest forms of uh, human physical existence. Psychiatrists see those of the human inner existence, but there is a need to uh, develop develop inner, inner tranquility to deal with all this. But in Stoics, it was pushed far more. Forward. It was a part of the mentality, of the understanding of the world. You can be stoic today without being stoic. That's what I want to say. A lot of us tend to be stoic or maybe fatalistic and so on, but not for the same reasons. And if the reasons are not the same, the causes are not the same. If the causes are not the same, ultimate effects are not the same. So, for instance... <clears throat> Uh, when you take uh, Stoics like uh, that are uh, from the late uh, Roman Stoa, because Stoic uh, Stoic philosophy was Greek, philo Athenian philosophy developed in Athens first by Zenon, Cleant, Chrysippus. Uh, that is far, far, far before Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus, who and Seneca even, who are. Usually uh, put forward as an exemplary Stoics, which they were, but this is more like late Stoa. And you take, for instance, Marco and Epictetus. They were people who were on the diametral opposites of the social strata of, of the Roman Empire, for instance. But they are equal in this attitude uh, towards philosophy and they are developing these Stoic principles. Now, this means that they shared metaphysics, uh, that they shared this ontology and understanding of the world. And uh, it doesn't come from moral sense of equality, although I do think in, 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 in a Roman Empire, even of that time, before Diocletian, a Roman emperor was not somebody you would call majesty in the sense you see uh, English queen, British queen being called and so on. They, they were more like, uh, uh, not really first among equals, but they were considered to be men. Uh, more so than maybe some medieval kings of late Middle Ages or Renaissance and some medieval, medieval peoples, uh, medieval nations that is, that developed after Roman Empire. Uh, this uh, changed later in in the Roman Empire, but at that time I think it was still quite different. If a Roman emperor was uh, deified, that was after death, not in life, as far as I know. If he tried to pull that off in life, that was quite dangerous for his well-being because people didn't like that. Uh, 
anyways, uh, so this does not come, but this does not come from moral sense of equality, but cosmic sense of equality. Equality in suffering, and equality in uh, in being uh, just uh, organs and units in the great organism of the world. And I am not using this metaphor uh, just for the sake of it, but this really is agnostic, not metaphor. They understood the world as organism, as a living being. And in which everything has its place. And you need logic and intellect to discern your place in it. And what I would, if I can be personal for a second, what I like in Stoics in this, is this insistence on intellectually uh, trying to understand things without giving way to emotions. Because today we are indoctrinated and I, I, I would almost say consciously indoctrinated from... I don't know, from, from 50s or 60s onward in Europe and I guess in USA with this primacy of emotions or even intuition, but intuition understood in quite sinister way from the downwards, not intuition from above. And uh, to always to denigrate this intellectuality and ability to keep a cool head and this is, a, I think, very. This is destructive, and we will talk about it in the course of this podcast when we address some of the other issues uh, Matt brought forward in in so-called U.S. culture wars, <laughs> little culture wars on Gnosticism. Oh, excuse me, on Stoics. Uh, so uh, this is this is this is one very important aspect of stoicism, Stoics, and you see that this is not really what we have today. We don't have natural science from which you can <clears throat> draw conclusions that Marco Aurelia and Epictetus drew. This is quite a different situation. What I find interesting uh, is that. Uh, Ecological fanatics are not uh, clutching to Stoics. It is a very interesting thing. Why this doesn't happen? Maybe somebody can tell me if, if I'm not well informed enough. Maybe some some Gaia worshipper discovered Stoics, but uh, it, there is a grounds to take Stoics Stoicism and mold it in this system theory ecology approach but for some reason it doesn't seem to to caught uh, to have caught uh, caught on uh, anyway one there is one more thing we have to understand about stoics uh, stoics ontology that is very important and this is the notion and it will be especially important when we for our last issue that is to say christian understanding uh, of stoics uh, and this is the notion of hemarmene uh, or fate fatum. Sometimes called Moira, but I think Stoics didn't call it that as uh, older expression. Now hemarmene is the causal chain sera that is unchangeable and that has to be discerned in order to uh, live stoically. And this means, so this order, this, this chain of being is in fact what is the essence of all and is in effect God. God is uh, making this from the inside, this connection of things. And now this is very important to understand. 
This is not to be understood in a temporal sequence of before and after. As today we tend to understand causality in very, and this is very, uh, I would even say, mutated way of understanding causality. It's specific to Kant, for instance, because Kant, uh, uh, Kant conjoined the notion of causality with the sense of time. That uh, from time as the pure form in, in which we experience things, every causality we understand in this temporal sequence. Well, <laughs> not really. And this is how Stoics understood it. So, if somebody gets cut by the knife, then a knife is the cause of the wound. Does knife disappear? with the existence of the wound? No, they both continue to exist. This is because they are not events. Causes for Stoics are corporeal, as everything is corporeal, but they are not events. Events are actions of causes. And if you understand causes as, a, as events, as it tends to be done to, today, uh, then you have this tendency to imagine that uh, the cause disappears as the uh, effect uh, comes around and then necessary other effect uh, comes ar comes about and so on ad infinitum or not ad infinitum until the final effect or the final cause. Uh, this is not so in Stoics because obviously uh, effects are symmetrical, they are uh, simultaneous. <laughs> and this is this has to do with uh, sympathia also, this idea of sympathy or interconnectedness of things, interconnectedness that is not haphazard, but that some natures are akin to other natures. This is not only Stoic teaching. This was one of those teachings that were ever present in antiquity in more or less subtle manner. I don't find Stoic one very subtle because of this corporeality notion, but it more or less means that uh, some part of universe, every part of universe is somehow related to other parts of universe, some more, some less. For instance, some it's uh, this kind of way uh, of thinking is 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 also the the foundation of not only magic but of well, I would say even symbolical thinking about nature that was very prevalent then. And this is uh, what the world is. The world is, uh, one might say, full of meaning, although they didn't use this expression. Meaning is subjectivist, modern term. It's full of purpose, purposes that are interrelated. And these interrelations you have to understand to an extent that is possible for you in order to develop the Gnostic... Oh, you, I'm sorry, the second time I say Gnostic, Stoic attitude. And finally, to conclude this segment, uh, let's say uh, how the world ends in, in Stoics, uh, it's very important, uh, in ekpirosis, that is to say the burning out of the world, because as uh, elements go from the subtler to the cruder, so from fire to air, from air to water, from water to earth, then circle is closed with the beginning of new circle and the birth of new world. And it was more or less the idea of eternal recurrence of the same. So world is, world is eternal, that is the worlds in plural are eternal. 
And as you see, this is a fatalistic, uh, fatalistic way to understand things. But all, as in all things, pre-modern is not really what we would <laughs> call fatalistic today. It's, it, there are subtle differences, and I cannot go into into all of them. After all, uh, comment sections is always open. We can discuss this further. And I have to say, I'm not a stoic expert. Uh, don't please don't be fooled about this. You cannot be expert on everything, but I do know more or less. I read uh, fragments even of these older Stoics, not uh, not only Romans. And I, uh, anybody who is studying antiquity, be it uh, patristics, Christian patristics, or Neoplatonism, anything, you you will run into Stoics because their teachings were kind of uh, interpretation of these common ground that they all shared and it was very popular it was very applicable uh, in in everyday life and all philosophy in antiquity had these presumptions that you live what you well, that you practice what you preach this was a matter of course not so today but I think we can see why, because it's not that we are worse people, although we are, I think, but because uh, modern or uh, postmodern, whatever you call them, people uh, uh, have in their knowledge, in their methodical knowledge, episteme, uh, the discrepancy and rift between understanding, for instance, of nature and understanding of ethics and such things. You cannot, you cannot make bridges. They are, they are separated now. Everything, all branches of knowledge are separated. Whereas in antiquity, things were different, and the value of logic was paramount, which is not not the case, of, uh, unfortunately, today. So let us now pass uh, to our own age and the political and social problem Matt is concerned about.